This episode of the Talk Hard podcast is brought to you by Trailer Skips Tasmania and Full Bore Skip Bins. If you're doing a bit of work around the house and you've got large amounts of waste items from household waste, green waste, building or renovation waste or heavy waste items and your piles are becoming bigger than Ben-Hur, give Dylan a call to organise your trailer skip or full bore skip bin today. Trailer skips use a unique design incorporating a skip bin built into a trailer for easy removal and tipping. Or if it's a normal skip bin you need, a full bore skip bin will be the one for you. You don't even have to pick it up or dump it yourself. Dylan will deliver it for you and he'll take it away and dump it. How good's that? Give him a call today on 0409 801 635. Trailer skips and full bore skip bins. Don't go the half job, go the full bore. G'day, g'day, welcome back to the Talk Hard Podcast. Get ready for the ride, here we go. My name's Briley. My name's Jake. My name's Penny. And this is our father, Brendan Hinkson's podcast called the Talk Hard Podcast. Yes, it is. It's not rocket science. Read the title. Oh, thanks for that, Jake. We've got some great people lined up for you guys. And we hope you enjoy. Our father will be blabbling a lot of shite. So if you do enjoy, leave a review. Like and subscribe. Grab your miso and enjoy the show. Thank you and enjoy. On this episode of the Talk Hard Podcast, a man who many locals would know as the crazy bugger who runs for miles, thrashing his body to raise money for sick kids, Tim Blair. That may be true, but once you get to chat to this fella, you soon get inspired by the mindset he has, not only for his charity activities, but also in his daily life. Tim chats about the origins of running for him, what motivated him to raise money for sick children and shares many stories of his charity runs, including the famous 970km run from the Bluff to Bondi. We speak about the many challenges and setbacks he's had in his endeavours, including injuries, illness, personal loss and a couple of occasions when he's pushed himself to the absolute limit and spent time in hospital as a result. He speaks about his passion for helping kids, not only sick kids, but all kids and adults to be a positive influence in our community, Set goals for yourself and push yourself to the absolute limit to get there. Seriously, this guy's an animal and to spend a couple of hours with him makes you feel like you want to go out and run through a brick wall. I hope you enjoy. Righto, Tim Blair, welcome to the Talk Hard podcast. Uh, thanks very much and thanks for having me along. No worries, mate. Um, normally what I do um, at the start of um, the podcast is go back to the start and have a bit of a, a chat about how I met the, the person, but... I know for us, we met about 10 minutes ago when you when you first walked in the driveway, but I know the, the first time that you actually came on my radar was uh, the Rat Eyes were our, our neighbours over the back fence. So you did a run for, for young Charlotte. Um, what year was that that you did that one? Uh, the, the run for Charlotte um, was 2012, I think, off the top of my head. Um, don't check that for yourself. Don't make that as gospel. Um, yeah, so... Charlotte um, was doing Learn to Swim with my wife yep. and uh, my wife told me about young Charlotte and she'd been diagnosed with leukaemia and, and at the time uh, I was sort of just getting over a bit of an illness myself through 2011 yep. and um, I planned to do something and, and I said to my wife, wife, okay, that's it, Charlotte's Charlotte's the one and um, so I got, got busy with training and planned to run 100Ks from, from Launceston to Devonport which, wow. um, which we achieved and... Um, again made some lifelong friendships and um and was privileged to meet charlotte and the family yep 
Um, as I say, like this is obviously the, the first time that we'd met, but I knew you as you know this mad bugger that just runs everywhere and does these great things for, for these kids. So it does sound like a very simplistic question, but why do you do it? Why do you have this desire to, to help children in particular? Um, I do it do it for the kids. Um, as I was saying, like as as an adult or as a child, as you're growing up, you're, you're mucking around doing your things and. You know, doing what you want to do, which is great, and that's important. Um, but as you grow up and mature, and um, especially when you when you have a child, uh, it's a life changing experience. Mm. And to me, yeah. the the responsibility that come with that, um, I you know I take it as the most responsibility that ever I'll get and and should ever have is is raising a child and making mm-hmm. sure that they're raised um, the right way is not not the right terminology for it, but raised knowing that. Um, it's not about us. It's about you know looking after each other and looking after other people and and, and things like that. And um, so when when our first child was born, Lily, um, the, you know the overwhelming responsibility that I felt when I got to hold Lily for the first time and everything else, it wasn't just about Lily, but it was about Lily and the friends and and everything else and all the other people that we'd met um, throughout that journey of Mandy being pregnant and. Mm-hmm understanding that there's a huge responsibility that comes with it and and it's about letting that child know that they're loved uh, and looked after and and in the cases of uh, where we do runs and raise money for other families it, it's it's about letting them children know that and the families know that they're not in it alone yeah uh, there's people and support around them and letting them understand that you know it's a massive fight and but it can be beaten yep. and and it can be beaten as a team and and that's what we're we're trying to achieve that we we support each other and everyone and um <clears throat> you know i've i've had and having a, a very fortunate life and um there's no reason no child in this world shouldn't feel unloved mm-hmm. and if they're feeling unloved and if we're not supporting them we're failing as adults and failing the future yep so whereabouts did running actually come into the equation have you always ran since a young age or um no, I hated running, hated cross country. That was an expression oh. I was going to ask. Do you actually enjoy running? <laughs> I do enjoy running. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, so th- all through high school and primary school, I, I, I enjoyed sport. I yep. enjoyed playing footy, cricket, mucking around, you know, a bit of surfing and riding my bike and things like that growing up. Yep. But never really took it as serious as probably what I could have done, should have done or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But had had a pretty good childhood. Um but I, I didn't really have a passion for running and it wasn't until later on in life where I was diagnosed with epilepsy and, and okay. started to think to myself that maybe if I got a little bit fitter, that, yep. might, that might help me. Yep. Uh, so I took up running. Uh, we lived at La Trobe at the time and um, you know, most days I'd go for a run around the block or two laps around the block and as I got fitter and felt better, um, I'd, I'd run more laps around the block and then one day... I said to Mandy that uh, I'm going to run to Latrobe, uh, to Devonport, from Latrobe to Devonport. Yep. It was about 10 or 12 k's, and Mandy said, you're bloody mad. What is um, she, I was going to say, what does she so, say now? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, so I, I did that. She picked me up at a friend's place. Um, it was all good, and, you know, I thought that was pretty cool, and not many people could believe that I actually ran from Latrobe to Devonport, but it was no big deal. And um, and then it just grew and grew and grew and grew, and... Um, and then one one morning, one Saturday morning, I got up, put my running gear on, and said to Manny, "I'm just going to go for a run for about an hour." Yep. And uh, I ended up running for about four hours that day, 
and found myself out past Wesley Vale, Hawley Beach, um, just running and and absolutely loving it. And as I got home, as I was running back into the driveway, she was just reversing out and she was coming to look for me because she thought I'd been hit by a car or something because I was only going for an hour. And yeah, she had a crack at me and... You know, there was no no iPods, no Strava or no phones or anything else. It was just me running along the road. And, um, and her hoping you came back. Yeah, absorbing the whole, you know, thing. And um, so that's where it all started. And um, then I ran my first marathon and um, ended up in hospital and on, on the couch for a week after that with fluid on my lungs. And right. thought, that's pretty cool. I'm going to do that again. So, um, <laughs> you know, so recovered from that and organized my next one and um yeah and, and i guess as i say the rest is history yep so when was the first time that you you ran for charity to raise funds uh the first time i ran for charity um gee uh was a lot of years ago i was fortunate enough when i started to run and as i got fitter um i had some friends that i played touch football with ricky brown and people like that and a, and a yep. guy i know ray johnson uh, and they were doing a bit of running, Paul Birch, and um, they invited me along to go and run with them. So I used to run with them a few nights a week and stuff like that. And um, then um, they was involved with the PCCT, the yep. Professional Cross Country Running Club, and and I started doing some runs there. And um, I've never been a fast runner, but it was good just to get out and run with these people and and be involved with other people and and run it along the side alongside with people like Viv Woodward, mm-hmm. who's a local guy here in Devonport who's actually a runner. Yep. And, and then improved my running. Um, and then we talked about marathons and I met two guys, uh, Les Savage and David Kent, <clears throat> who both run for the running club. And and these guys had, I think they've done like thirteen, um, what is it, three peaks races? Yep. And things like that and they were doing a run from Deloraine to Forths. Mm-hmm. It was 70-odd Ks to raise money for a school in Deloraine called Giant Steps, which is a school for children with autism. Yep. Um, so I asked them if I could come along, and they said, yeah, not a problem. So we got up early one Saturday morning, had a bus pick us up, and we went to Deloraine, and we ran from, I think it was the British Hotel in Deloraine to the Forths pub wow. where we finished with some stout. Bloody hell. Um, and that was my first sort of rural charity run, and, and the feeling I got from that... Um, one, I was absolutely knackered because it was a hell of a day. It was yeah. a head wind and raining, but um, it was amazing. So from that, I, I did a few marathons and stuff uh, that were aligned to charities uh, and, and just did that. And then a bit over 11 years ago, I did, I guess, the, the first run for the Tim Blair Run for Kids Foundation. Yep. So whereabouts did that come about? Where did you decide that, right, I've got to set up my own foundation, I want to do this? Um, so the foundation sort of... Uh, uh, come, yeah, it was uh, 11 years ago, 2010, 2019. Yep. Uh, 20, 2009, sorry. Yep. Uh, where Lily come home from school and told me about Phoebe, uh, a young girl, and she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and okay. um, up at Nixon Street Primary. So I thought, oh, well, we should do something for Phoebe. And I rang up the principal of Nixon Street Primary at the time, Jody Wilson, and explained to her, look, I've done a few runs, done this and that, and, you know, ran from... Deloraine to fourth, blah, blah. I'd like to do something to help Phoebe and her family. And, and she was really supportive of it and got behind it. And then so Devonport High got behind it as well. Yep. Um, and so I ran from Burnie to uh, Devonport, finished at Nixing Street Primary. 
and had the support of, of the local schools and, and local community, obviously. And, and that was, that's where the, the charity was born from. But um, I was very insecure, I guess, of having a charity with my name on it. Right. Uh, I, I didn't think it was worthy uh, and I didn't think, you know, it needed to be in my name. But uh, after talking to a few people and stuff, um, yeah, they, they said, explain to me why it needs to be in my name and mm -hmm. and then through again through the help and support of some friends and things um the the charity so the timberley run for kids foundation was born and, yep. and still going strong today purely because people volunteer and people are on the committee and and you know they they organize fundraisers and and they support my passion yep so i, I went through and researched a lot of your runs that you were doing it's like every every time you went on a run it was like it had to be bigger and nastier and, <laughs> and thrash yourself even more is there is there some some reason why why that is like you're always looking to challenge yourself more or um yeah look it is and i guess um it's probably a little bit weird uh but uh, uh, as i was saying before as an adult we're we're responsible to you know uh bring kids up the right way and, and i think one of those passions of mine is apart from you know helping um children of the sick and things like that i, I want to instill into to everyone and not just children but everyone that we we can all do this we can all choose to do stuff um you know and it doesn't have to be running running's my thing yeah um but putting yourself outside your comfort zone that's that's the thing and and that's what i encourage my kids to do um and I encourage anyone to do it. And like I say, it doesn't necessarily have to be running. It might be, you, you might be thinking, oh, I want to go and do a degree in teaching. Go and do it. Yep. You know, do it. If it takes six years, who cares? Go and do it. Sit there, do it. Get yourself outside that comfort zone and do it. And that, and that personally, that's that's what my thing is. I, I, like, I like to test myself. I like to see what my body can and can't do. And, and unfortunately, not so much for me, but the people who have been around me at the times, unfortunately, I've found out sometimes what my body can't do and, yep. I, and i've pushed it to to places where i guess probably i shouldn't have done um but it's something i won't stop doing and and it's something i believe you need to do to keep keep growing and keep living and, and it's about living and it's about understanding that you know your body's meant to be pushed you, your body is designed to be tested and, and everything else it's it's not designed to sit at home and play computer games or anything else mm. it's designed to be pushed so get out there and push it, you know, mentally, physically, all that stuff. Um, it, you know, commit to doing 10 push-ups a day or whatever it is, but mm. commit to it, do it. Do something. And and the feeling you get from that is, is second to none, you know. Like I've, I'm not trying to talk myself up, but I've, I've woke up from being unconscious, you know, for, for hours on end. And once, once you sort of get your stuff sorted again, it's, it's it's a feeling of wow you know i've i've been mentally strong enough to to push myself and and do this sort of stuff and you get to a position where um you believe and and that's what what it's about you believe that there's nothing nothing is impossible yeah um you know and and we all hear that and say that uh, and it's about belief but it it's true you know and it's not about you know setting yourself goals to make a million dollars or anything else it's just about you setting yourself a goal and doing it for yourself mm -hmm. and and from a personal perspective that's what this is all about from me like it's it's about 
me trying to show others that, uh, and especially the children that, you know, set yourself something, strive for it, drive at it. And if you fail, have another crack at it. Yep. Uh, because failure is all about the learning and everything else. You know, there's, I, I, I guess years and years ago, I, was, I, I um, set myself to run a sub three hour marathon and I was on track and, and then I ended up and I couldn't finish it. I was about 5K short and, and the disappointment I felt in that um, was, was amazing. You know, I was, I was so crabby and pissed off with myself that, you know, you're 5Ks away from running a sub three marathon and, you know, you're too weak to, to finish it and everything else. But that was all part of the growing experience. I had to, I had to put my body into a situation to let it know what, what it took to do that sort of stuff, you know. 12 months later, I did it. Um, so it's all doable. Uh, but you've got to accept the failures as well and, and you've got to be able to confront that you know like um, like I say I, I, I'm, I'm not proud of the fact that I've collapsed and been unconscious and put people in a situation where they've had to give me medical attention or whatever that I, I, I don't like that and I feel sorry for the people that have had to do that because mm-hmm. it's very confronting but um, it's about putting yourself out there and testing your limits and um, everything else I think you're well and truly testing yours then, mate, by the sound of things. <laughs> Sounds like you're pretty hard on yourself too, though. Um, you've got to be. You've got to yep. be your own, You've got to be your biggest critic. Um, if you're not, you know, um, I, I've and and I'll, I'll um I'll never forget it, and it's and it's something that that drives me. Um, in 2014 or 2013, I was sort of looking for something to do again. You know thinking about doing something bigger and better and um i was off running with shane taylor a great friend of mine and i yep. uh, was talking about something and you know i was talking about going away on a holiday with with the family and we, we've both got combi vans and was going to drive the combi vans to bondi and was running along one day and i said bugger it why don't we run you know run to bondi <laughs> as a, uh, as you would <laughs> yeah you know like i thought that'd be cool um do something like that multiple days and, and everything else and um Anyway, we so we organised the Bondi run, but during that run, um, I I succumbed to stress fractures in my legs, yep. uh, and then one of the stress fractures turned into a break, and um, I had to stop at the Yas Hospital and, and seek some medical attention because of that. And and obviously during that run was getting a lot of supportive messages and everything else, and you know ninety nine point nine percent of the messages were supportive, and and that and that's really appreciative. Um, but there was one message I read. Uh, someone commented that you know i was stupid and i shouldn't have done it and um you know the medical bill for for what i had at the yas hospital was going to far outweigh anything that i'd raised and uh, all that sort of stuff always one um and i i felt really sorry for the person that wrote that message yeah really sorry because i dare say one they've never tested themselves um you know and never never felt what it's like to to put yourself outside that comfort zone so you know, I didn't get crabby with them or anything else. I just felt sorry for them that mm. they're in a situation that they needed to take a crack at something that was positive, you know, to make themselves feel better. So mm. that's that's what I say, you know, like um, th- it's all about pushing yourself and testing yourself. Mm. And usually you find that, as you say, people that are negative outwards, it means that they've got nothing internally nice to say about themselves a lot of the time. Yeah, not in which, a good is, state themselves. which is really sad and, you know, and... I would have loved for that person to to reach out and just say, you know, wow, um, 
you know, I could never do anything like that. Can you come and talk to me? Mm. And I'd love to go and talk to them because they can do something like that if yeah. they want to do it, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's what I mean. That's why I feel sorry for them. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it's it's not about criticising anyone, you know, and, and we've got no right to criticise anyone or, or, or whatever. No um, one's perfect, are they? No, exactly. Tell us a little bit more about that run. So it was about 970 kilometres, is that right? Yeah, pretty close to 1,000 k's. So it meant that we had to average something like 120 k's a day for eight days. And then, then on the ninth day, uh, we had a casual 20-odd k run from where we were accommodating in Sydney. Yep. Uh, so we ran from there into uh, a place called Newtown where we met some people who were doing park run there and from Newtown out to Bondi. Yep. So, and that was on, uh, I think we finished there on a, on a Saturday. I think it might have been a Sunday. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, so you did finish that run even after yeah, going to hospital? Yeah, we finished the run. Um, finished it and then there was a pair of crutches waiting for me at the end. Oh, um, and so it, it was It was an amazing run and it, and it's it's something that obviously I'll never forget. Um, the, the friendship I had with Shane and his family only got stronger um, mm. from that. And, and I was absolutely privileged to have uh, Shane and his family along and my family and then the support crew that we had along with that um, you know so we had had a masseuse in Janelle um, during the organizing time we needed someone in the support car that um, one was stupid enough to volunteer to do it but two <laughs> was strong enough to not not take any nonsense from Shane and I because we needed someone that you know, there was going to be all sorts of emotions going on throughout that, that time. And yep. uh, we needed someone in a support car that was going to be strong enough to drive up beside us and say, right, are you guys, you've been running for two hours, you just haven't eaten or drinking, drank anything. Um, you know, and, and we did and sometimes got abusive to each other or to anyone else, you know. Uh, but they need to be strong enough to say, right, I, you know, stop that nonsense and bloody drink or eat or whatever yeah uh so adrian triffett put his hand up for that job and he fitted the bill nicely mm-hmm. and, and you know and then talking about the rat eyes chris rat so charlotte's grandfather he yeah. he come along in the support car as well the yep. advocate give uh they supplied a journalist in john o'malison he come along we only just met john o so we had this amazing you know three or four people around us the whole time was running and and, and they they were amazing and they did stuff you know for us like there was one day Chris drove a hundred kilometres for us because we felt like egg and bacon McMuffins, um, wow. and we just and so we just consumed food. Yeah, uh, that's that's all I was doing. All I was doing was running and consuming food. Mm. You got to keep um, your fuel up, don't you? Pretty much, and um, so it was it was a test of it was a mental test the whole time. Uh, I think it was day two. Shane succumbed to hypothermia on day two, and. So I sat beside his bed that night while he was laying in there shivering and everything else and explained to him that, you know, like, remember the deal we had? It was all about just just doing it. You know, no one's going to get hurt, so don't worry about running tomorrow. You know, you have a rest and whatever. Yeah. But, you know, 4.30 the next morning, Shane met me outside and off we went again. Yeah. Um, you wow. know, and it was the same deal. As I started to struggle with my leg, I knew I, knew I was in all sorts of strife and, you know, Shane said the same to me don't worry about it blah blah but you know was there to help each other and even though there was days when we probably wanted to punch on um <laughs> but we you know then we'd have to social distance before social distance <laughs> was trendy before and, your time yeah you know we'd 
50 metres apart or 500 metres or whatever it took. Yeah, and have a bit of me time. Yeah, all that sort of <laughs> stuff. So um, mentally, it was something that um, I, I'd do it all again and I'll hopefully one day we'll, we'll be able to. Um, it was the biggest test that, that I've ever done. Yep. And, and yeah, like so, I enjoyed it. Tell us a little bit about your mindset. What are you actually thinking while you're on these runs? Obviously, you'd have a, a, a myriad of thoughts going through your mind, but what sort of keeps you going? Do you remember what you think about um, while you're out there running? Yeah, look, there's when you do anything like that, um, when you do any sort of endurance stuff or, or anything else, it's, it is it is a mindset. You know, The physical part of it is part of it, but probably 5% of it. Right. The, the rest of it's 95%, and it's... Your, your whole day or days or whatever it is is filled with with peaks and troughs um and you go through these amazing highs where you think oh yeah this is this is all going nicely and then all of a sudden you're down in this trough and and it seems to be that you're digging yourself deeper into a hole and so that's where the mental thing comes into it so you've got to you got to think about what you're doing it for um who you're doing it for why you're doing it uh all that sort of stuff and, and and just be strong enough to understand and confident enough, I guess, in your body that you know you, you can you can do it. You've you've trained for it, you've done it, or, or whatever. And and over the years, it's about building that confidence. Um, and, and you know, the things that go through my mind, there's all sorts of stuff. Uh, when I did the Bondi run, um, for a good eight months of while I was training to get fit for Bondi, uh, my father was was laying in bed dying from cancer. So. Mm. Uh, I was doing stuff um, like I'd run to Latrobe. I'd have a shower in Dad's room at the Latrobe Hospital, sit there with Dad, put my running gear back on and run home uh, later that afternoon after sitting with Dad. So obviously there, I thought about Dad for a fair bit of it, thought about my family, thought about the kids, um, you know, the kids that are fighting cancer. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time when I thought I was doing it hard, I would think about kids that are doing it way harder than what I am, you know, like... My pain was temporary. Their pain is full-time, 24-7. So draw inspiration from that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, What about the science behind it? So you were saying about, you know, refueling and having somebody there to to tell you to eat and drink and things like that. Like, there is a chance that you could kill yourself doing this, couldn't you, if you weren't hydrated (laughs) properly and eating properly? Do you do a lot of research? Do you speak Um, to people, experts in the field, before you go and do these things? So the the bond I run, yeah, we um, probably put as much planning and, and rightly so into that or more planning than I, I've ever done. Um, although the, the one in Nepal was planned fairly well. Um, so we, we, we worked with a dietitian um, and, and we worked on, on stuff like based on previous runs I've done and how many calories I'd burned. Um, and, and basically, in a nutshell, it come down to the fact that we was never ever going to be able to put enough calories into our body to compensate for what was burning. Mm-hmm. So... There was always going to be, um, you know, weight loss, muscle loss, all that sort of stuff. Um, we just physically couldn't consume enough food to, yep. to, to. So we had to be prepared for that. Um, and so I, I went into that run slightly heavier than what I probably would have normally been. Um, I'm not, I'm not light by any stretch of the imagination for my height. Shane's far lighter than me, and Shane's a runner. Um, but we we understood all that so it wasn't when was training for it it wasn't just about running and getting miles in our legs was doing gym sessions core stability stuff um you know there was a good eight or nine months of preparation Mm -hmm. of not just running but all sorts of stuff you know working out 
where was going to be running and things like that. So, it, it, and it, it's funny, I get asked a lot about the food stuff, you know, like most people think, oh, they must be eating healthy stuff and everything, but it, it was just about eating. Yeah. Um, get that's something all in. it was. Um, so anything we felt like, like I say, you know, egg and bacon, McMuffins, hamburgers, just food in general. Um, fortunate enough that our family was there, so Mandy and Tracy, they, they were in charge of the cooking. Um, yeah. They would meet us for lunch, um, you know, and then whatever we felt like the support crew so chris rat i'd take off and buy us whatever it was and we had you know cars with food in it and things like that um so it was about eating as much as we possibly could and when we got the chance sleeping as much as we possibly could yep so what what sort of time frame did you set yourself per day obviously you said that shane got hypothermia so were you running through the night were you or you just Uh, early early mornings um so we were we were sort of you know, leaving anywhere between four and four thirty of a morning. Yep. Um, and and it was freezing cold. Uh, country Victoria's people complain about Tassie, geez, but I've never been so cold <laughs> in all my life when was doing that through Country Victoria. Yep. Um, Not even running and warm you up then. No, it was just cold. Yep. It was just miserably cold. Um, and so yeah, we'd say so we'd set off early in the morning. Um, and we'd set off on our own, and then hopefully by about six thirty, uh, Adrian would come along. And we'd, we'd have a bowl of cereal or something that was in the car. So we'd walk and eat that cereal up and go and things like that. And, and then, yeah, once that was done, but then by about 8.30, 9 o'clock, 9.30, uh, that's when the craving started. Hence yep. the egg and bacon McMuffins or, or whatever it was that was craving at the time. Yep. Um, the coffees, anything basically. Yep. Um, you know, sandwiches with jam in them. Um, so you needed to eat, you needed to be, you know, overdosing in sugar and, and everything else, but you needed carbs and stuff as well. So there was some science to it, but it was just about whatever we felt like on the day because if you don't... I don't do sports drinks, so I don't do Powerade and things mm. like that. I definitely don't do these so-called energy drinks. Um, so there was none of that sort of nonsense, yep. um, you know, because they're not, they're not really helpful. Mm. The first day of the Bondi run, um, to my, my mistake, but we didn't have much other stuff and... So I grabbed a sports drink and, and drank that uh, about 80 k's into it, and then I vomited for the next five hours yep. uh, all the way to the finish. Is uh, that because your body wasn't used to what was in the sports drink? Yeah, or? just I just don't like them. Yep. Uh, and my, I don't, yeah, my body doesn't doesn't deal with them that well. So yep. same with the gels. I, I used to be able to take gels and things like that, but I, I don't do stuff like that anymore. Yeah. Um, you say you ran in Nepal. Tell us a little bit about that one. Uh, so... In 2016, um, Nepal is is a story on its own, I guess. Um, so in 2016, I ran from a place called Pokhara to Kathmandu, which is a bit over 220 k's. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason I did that uh, was the same reason I do all these runs for childhood cancer. But um, so our relationship with Nepal started back in early in the early 90s uh, when Mandy and I decided to. Um, quit our jobs and uh, rent our house out and travel overseas. Mm-hmm. And one, one of the places I desperately wanted to go to was Nepal uh, because I I just wanted to see the mountains, wanted to be in the mountains and, um, you know, uh, experience high altitude and, and things like that. So we went to Nepal and we met a, a gentleman by the name of Rajan Tapa who was a guide for us. We, we did a trek called the Annapurna Circuit. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so we spent 12 days with Raj, uh, trekking and, and stuff in this area and, and fell in love with Raj and fell in love with Nepal. And we 
kept that relationship going over the years, traveled back and forth to Nepal. We climbed a mountain in Nepal um, in the Everest region with Rajan, spent Christmas with Rajan and his family. Uh, and uh, Rajan met a lady called Pembadoma Sherpa, who's a very famous climber. She's one of only three female climbers to have climbed Mount Everest from both sides, from mm -hmm. the Nepalese and Tibetan side, and she's she's summited Everest three times. Wow. Um, <clears throat> Raj married Pemba. They've got a daughter, Sarani, who's the same age as our son, mm -hmm. Ra, who we named after Raj. His name's Raj. Um, yep. And we helped Raj and Pemba start a business in Nepal called Climb High Himalaya, which wow. is a, a trekking and climbing business. And yep. The profits from that business uh, goes directly into funding um, schools and education for children in the Himalayas. Yep. So our, our our relationship with Nepal is is family almost. Unfortunately, um, neither Raj or Pemba are still alive. Pemba died on Everest in uh, 2009, and um, I went over and spent some time with Raj, and he. For, for people that know Everest and know um, what it takes, when you die on Everest, you don't come back. No one brings you back because the effort is way too big. It's too right. hard. Uh, when Pemba died, Raj checked for three days and retrieved Pemba's body and brought her back down. And she now lies in a place called Lobbershack. So um, he, he was obviously very upset. I spent time with Raj over in Nepal and things like that. And, and I promised Raj that... Uh, would come back and would bring the kids over and would go and spend three months in the Himalayas and visit some of the schools that Climb High Himalaya had constructed and, and put money into. Uh, uh, like I said before, unfortunately, I got sick in 2011 um, and, and that meant that I couldn't travel and um, things weren't good at the time. So I had to ring Raj and tell him that we won't be coming. Uh, this is on with book paid was going like this was a month before was due to leave Australia to go and spend time with Raj. Um, I had to ring Raj and explain to him that we won't be coming and uh, the chances are that I'll, I'll probably never get back to Nepal. Mm -hmm. um, a week after I talked to Raj, he took his own life. And so I, I got better um, and, and I, I had a promise to keep that was going to come back to Nepal. So we went, we went back to Nepal in 2012, uh, spent time with Rajan's family, his brother uh, and his mum and dad, uh, who have uh, passed away now, his mum and dad have, and Rajan's daughter, Sarani. She lives with uh, Rajan's brother and his family. So we set a trust fund up for Sarani, and we also set up the company Climb High Himalaya to, to stay there until such time Sarani's old enough to do whatever it is she wants to do with it. At that time, I, I made a promise to Amber and, and Rajan's family that I'd come back to do something for in honour of, of Raj and Pemba. And that's... So I was going to do the Everest Marathon in 2015. Um, and so I was training to, to go back to Nepal and run the Everest Marathon in 2015. And then, um, as most people are aware, there was severe earthquakes in Nepal. Mm. Um, so I didn't get to go and do that. So 2016... Uh, we're organised to do Pokhara to Kathmandu. And so we raised money in, in Nepal for uh, families that had been um, lost their houses or, or whatever through the earthquakes, but we also raised money back here for childhood cancer and stuff. Um, so there's there's a fair bit of sentimental stuff that why the Nepal run was done. And 
I've got ambitions to go back to Nepal and do some other things as well. Yep, excellent. Um, I was reading up on on your runs, and you know, there's there's too many to list, which is a credit to you. But this is a couple that sort of took my interest. There was one in 2018. Um, you were going to run for for 20 hours from Campbelltown, but you had to pull out yourself due to hypothermia and a and a seizure or something. Was that right? Ah, uh, yes. I I didn't pull out. I actually collapsed. Okay. <laughs> Involuntarily um, pulled out. Then. And and was yeah laying unconscious on the road. Um, this is the one you were speaking about earlier, was it? No, so a different one. there's a few, but um, I guess so. Going back to Nepal, um, Nepal was was planned to with an inch of its life. The time uh, we planned to do it um, was on the other side of their monsoon, so the weather was meant to be cooling off uh, and things like that. Uh, but I got to Nepal ten days before the run. I had a number of media commitments and and things. Um, it was unseasonally hot. Uh, that was fine. So we started the run, uh, and it it was on the days I was running. Uh, I think the hottest start peaked at about fifty five degrees or something. Um, and then you've got the rad the radiant heat coming off and stuff. So it it was stupidly hot uh, after after the first day. Um, <clears throat> I had extreme blisters on my feet. Uh, I was you know things things were going on that I I hadn't experienced before because of the heat. Um, and then on day three of that run, I actually collapsed, and um, and I, I don't I don't like talking about it. It's not bragging or anything else, but I collapsed, and and they couldn't find a heartbeat for a couple of minutes. So I was given CPR, and uh, I've lost I lost about eight hours of what there, uh, and that's because I was unconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, but that so you know they they obviously managed to get a heartbeat going again, and and whatever, and I got up the next day and finished the run. Um, from that, yeah, I come home. We trained, and I'd planned to do the the Campbelltown to uh, Devonport run, which was going to be a bit over 160 k's. And the the um, I remember going to Campbelltown was having dinner at the pub that night, uh, and I was thinking how lucky I am. Um, the forecast was for really cold weather, but it was mildly warm. And and I remember I said to Mandy, my wife, I said, "Gee, I've I've been pretty lucky with the weather. Mm. Um, it's." It's going to be okay, you know. So about 40-odd k's into that, um, the temperature dropped dramatically. Mm. Um, It rained harder than I'd ever been in before, Mm -hmm. uh, um, and there was actually parts of the road that was flooding, uh, and and I've never been so cold again in my life, except for country Victoria. Um, But anyway, I was cold and wet, and and I couldn't get warm, and I I kept going, and, uh, and then... I stopped and and I, I said I'm just going to lay down for for a little while and um, you know rest up a bit and this was just before Perth uh, but apparently then they tried to wake me and they couldn't wake me um, so I I don't know what you call it but anyway I was non-responsive mm-hmm. so they called an ambulance and um, my memory from that was about 24 hours later I woke up in the Lancaster Hospital yeah uh, and that was just purely because I'd I'd exerted myself too hard and and my body had said it's time to have a rest stop and that's yeah. what i did it still pains me to this day uh, especially that i spent so much time on the road driving to hobart and back and um there's not a trip that i haven't been on where i i look at the spot where i was picked up from and i think you've got some unfinished business so one day that'll that'll be finished you'll do it yeah um what would you say has been your toughest run um 
Oh, Bondi has definitely been the toughest because it was so many days, um, you know, to do it. They're all tough. Um, you know, none, none of them have been easy. Uh, last year, I ran 70Ks. Um, we started up in Somerset and, and ran through a number of schools and things like that. Uh, that that presents its challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but Bondi is no doubt the toughest because it was, you know, day after day. Um, and there's nothing more mentally strengthening than, than going to bed that night knowing you're going to get up in the morning to flog yourself again. <laughs> um, you know, that, that that presents a whole different mental toughness. And the pool was the same, you know. Like, um, after the first day, I, I had blisters on my feet and um, I, somewhere on, on Facebook or on the internet, there's, there's video footage of, of Pete Ed and Heath Holden putting needles through my feet to drain the blisters. And um, while I was there, someone came up with the idea of apparently... If you thread cotton through your blisters, it'll drain your blisters. So right. I went to bed that night with, you know, it was almost like fur growing out of my feet. There was that much cotton and stuff. Um, but we couldn't find an, a new needle. So they found this old, the bluntest needle in the world to <laughs> drive through my feet, you know. So, you know, there's nothing more exhilarating going to bed knowing that I'm going to get up tomorrow and do all that again. Do it all so, over again. Um, you know, and, and that's again that's that's what it's about it's about knowing that i've got to go to sleep i can't dwell on it but i'm going to wake up tomorrow knowing where i'm going to put myself Mm. and you know it is what it is and and that's why i do it yeah so what about the injuries then what would you say has been the worst injury that you've you've suffered um probably even though i there's an accumulation so with nepal uh with the bondi run I, i developed stress fractures and then uh, by the time I'd got back home, I, I went to a surgeon in Launceston and one of the stress fractures had actually, there was a, a clean break um, in one of the stress fractures in my leg. Um, that and then in Nepal, um, I've, I've done damage to my nerves in, in my legs, especially when I was in Nepal. So I've got a, a thing called neuropathy now. So in my feet, I get hot feet, tingling in my feet and things like that. So... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. And um, it's funny enough that a lot of people that go through radiation and chemo end up with neuropathy because the radiation can destroy your nerves yeah. um, or affect your nerves and, and you end up with neuropathy in your hands and feet and things like that. So it, it's just, you know, I can get really, really hot feet and and then tingling in them and things like that, which happens a lot when you're running and things anyway. So, mm. yeah, so it, it's... You know, it's all come through me doing what I do, but it's there's no regrets. It's quite ironic, though, isn't it, that you sort of suffer some of the symptoms of people that are going through chemotherapy, which is a lot of the people that you're actually helping. By yeah, what doing. yeah, it is. Um, you know, it's funny how all that stuff works out, but you know, there's there's no regrets in it, and you know, I'd much rather be doing this than um, you know, just staying at home or going to work. Yeah doing something um tell us a little bit about project kids because this this program sort of aligned with the national curriculum is that right and it's it's in tasmanian schools so project kids um when 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 i was planning the bondi run um i was told the best thing to do is to align yourself with a national charity Mm -hmm. so i was looking around you know um you know obviously there's a cancer council and things like that and then as it happened um 
I was sitting at home watching TV one night and an ad for uh, an organisation called the Kids, Co- Pro- Kids Cancer Project come on TV. And I thought, that's them. Um, so I did a bit of work and finding out what the Kids Cancer Project was and who they are. And that's a, a charity based in Sydney. And it was started by a gentleman by the name of Carl Reynolds, who I'm uh, very proud to call my friend. And, and Carl was a bus driver one day and he was... Um, driving through Sydney and he stopped to let some children with no hair cross the road near Westmead's Children's Hospital. Took it upon himself to find out why them children had no hair. He went into the hospital, talked to some people and found out that they had no hair because of the the treatment for cancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, He made a promise to the doctor then that he would fund money, uh, find money to fund research into childhood cancer. And Mm -hmm. from that, the Kids Cancer Project was born. Um, so I talk, So anyway, I found out, Googled the Kids Cancer Project, rang up the Kids Cancer Project, uh, true story, rang up, introduced myself, said I'm Tim Blair from Tasmania. Uh, I've done a few runs and I'd like to run from Tasmania to Sydney. And um, the guy that took the phone call, he sort of coughed and spluttered and ummed and ahed and <laughs> he said, I'll get back to you. And, and he then went to... A, a girl that worked there at the time, Kim Belly, Belly Babbage, who is a, another great friend of mine, and he said to Kim, he said, there's some crank from Tasmania, reckons he's going <laughs> to run from Tasmania to Sydney. Um, what do you reckon we should do with it? And Kim said, well, let's ring him back. Um, so I rang him back, had a chat with him, jumped on the plane, went and had a chat with him, and, and that's how the Bondi run was all started, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so Project Kids, we... <clears throat> After the Bondi run and that, I got talking about, you know, how fortunate I am to go and talk at schools and, and how I'd like the kids to understand how easy it is to make a difference or a positive contribution in the world. And so we come up with this thing called Project Kids where um, it's about, there's different modules to it, but it's about exactly that. It's about children understanding how easy it is to make a positive difference. So, um, you know, if a, if a child's there and, and the teacher's rubbish bin's full, Offered it empty that rubbish bin. Yep. That means the teacher gets to go home a few Simple minutes earlier things. that night. Yep. Uh, and you've made a positive contribution. Yep. So that's what Project Kids is about. It's it's about yeah, everyone understanding that it's it's simple. It's simple to make a positive difference. And it's not about raising $100 or running 100 kilometres or, or anything else. It's just about doing doing the stuff that I call is human stuff. And that's what humans need to do. You yep. know, we, we need to... When we're walking around the streets, if, if someone drops something, pick it up. Mm. You know, if someone needs a hand to lift something, help them lift it. Yeah. Uh, that sort of stuff. That's all making a positive contribution. Yeah. So that's what Project Kids is all about. Excellent. Um, I saw recently. Um, I think you were at fourth primary school presenting something to a to a young fellow. Was it? Did he do a run of his own or something? Is that right? So last year, yeah, young young Maui. So last year, I, I um, we've we've through the committee we've been really lucky that um the committee in the last few years that organized a bike ride uh it's 160 something k's 170 k's from mm-hmm. campbelltown to devonport um <clears throat> so I, I actually did the bike ride last year for the first time I, i'm not much of a bike rider uh, better so, runner obviously yeah yeah <laughs> um so I, d- I did the bike ride and then um four days later i backed up and, and ran 70 odd k's so Young Maui, uh, who, who's just a champion young kid, he took it upon himself with the, with the help of his family. He organised a bike ride run thing um, over at Alveston and, and he, he 
ask people to come along and you know ride their bikes continuously for however long or do a bit of a run and things like that and and he raised over five hundred dollars for the charity so that again there's a classic example you know of of what children can do and we're talking about a primary school age child here mm. um you know so every child has that in them um they just need a little bit of help from from the adults around them yeah. and they can do that sort of stuff encouragement you know? yeah yeah with your cases of um, your young people that you do help through your runs and, and your charity and things like that, how do they come to you? Is it normally word of mouth or do people contact you themselves? Or? Um, it's normally word of mouth. And, you know, we've, we've uh, had conversations or we've heard about families that, that you know, they've got a child that's that's got cancer and so we, we'll go and introduce ourselves to them and, and talk to them and, and it's up to the family whether they want to accept that help or any help at all or, or what they need um and one of the things that we've we've um you know been trying to do the last few years is is get it out there more i guess and let people know that we are out there and there is there is, there, there is help um this year we've been really fortunate we've been down to hobart and we've met with the pediatrics oncology people down in hobart and we're in the process now of putting together a, a bit of an information pack and um some stuff that so when a family presents themselves um in the oncology ward um that they, they, they can receive some information about the tim blair run for kids foundation mm-hmm. um the psychologist that works down there she she's agreed to help us out and you know when when, when a child's diagnosed with cancer uh the last thing any parent's thinking of is where do i go and find money or where you know th- their focus is what are we going to do how are we going to get our child better again um and and so it should be so you know it's if we can present ourselves to them and say okay look what do you need how do you need it or you know do you need to need a hand paying some bills or or just some you know some fuel money or whatever it is um we can alleviate some of that worry for them yep and so uh, i guess yeah anyone listening if they know of anyone or whatever you know please come forward and let us know and um yeah without sort of being too corny but we're here to help yeah um with it, with your um challenges that you've done have you ever thought i've bitten off more than i can chew here or you know over my head have you ever had second um, thoughts or um yeah when so in nepal um when i collapsed and i didn't know what what was going to happen but i knew i was in trouble um i was running and running and and the people around me knew i was in trouble because i disengaged um i like the the days prior to that i'd i'd engage with everyone i'd engage with the locals as i was running and things like that but for about two hours i i ran and and there was no communication between me or anyone else and uh they knew then that there's something wrong um and then the next thing you know like yeah i fell down um he hasn't got a heartbeat blah so you know they dragged me off the road and um you know, started giving me CPR, um, but I didn't didn't sort of think, oh, I've bit off more than I can. I just I knew I was in trouble, uh, mm-hmm. but I still believed that I was going to be able to finish it. Yeah, um, okay. You know, and I I did, uh, but it just took <laughs> just took a bit of rest to be able to get up and finish it the next day. It took a bit more of a toll on yeah. you than you thought it was going to. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, um, just a couple of quick ones just to finish up. Like, I really appreciate your time. Who's been the biggest influence on you in your life? Would you say? Um, biggest influence, um, probably the kids. 
Yep. Um, yeah. That's awesome. The, the, the kids, without a doubt. Yep. Um, and obviously, you know, very kid-oriented in, in, in your thoughts. What's the best piece of advice you'd give a young person today? Anyone. Um, <clears throat> like I said before, uh, and this is not just, just at kids, but test yourself. Put yourself outside your comfort zone. And, and it's not, not, not extreme stuff, but just put yourself outside your comfort zone and, and, and understand how strong your body is. And when you get an understanding of how strong your body is and your mind is, um, you know, nothing's unachievable. Yep. You know, there's, there's always hurdles. And, and as humans, um, I, I think we're, it's instilled into us, um, you know, not to take risks. But we need to take risks, yep. and and we need we need to do it, you know. And and it can be anything. And um, I I often use my son as an example. Um, when he was growing up, you know, like we used to get comments, "Oh God, he's always breaking a bone," or "He's always doing," and he was, um, you know, and um, touch wood, it's been a <laughs> while. But I, I, you know, Raj Raj loves surfing, loves skating, loves mountain biking, and and and. You know, it goes okay at all those things, but it, whenever I was with him, if if he was at the skate bowl, I used to encourage him to go and drop the bowl. You know, go and. But if you're gonna do it, do it at a hundred percent commitment. Yeah. Don't do it at fifty percent because there's a chance you're gonna hurt yourself when mm. you got doubt. Yeah. Don't ever doubt yourself. You know, be confident in yourself. When he was learning to ride his mountain bike and, and hit jumps hit him mate but hit him hard yep. you know go at it if you're gonna do it do it hard do it at 100 percent because the chances of success are far more than what they are if you if mm. you hit that jump and you've got doubt in your mind straight away you're going too slow or, or whatever it is and you're not gonna hit the landing jump so um that's that's my advice choose something you want to do and go at it 100 percent. if you fail get back on it and go again and and a story that comes to mind is years and years ago was camping down the east coast at Bishano and at a place called the Douglas River. Um, Raj was into surfing and he was he was only very, very young at the time, was there with some other friends, they had some older kids and it was massive. The surf was absolutely massive and, and Raj wanted to get out there and there was a massive rip pulling everyone down the beach, blah, blah, blah. So I made a deal with him, right, eh? We'll put this stick in the ground down the beach you paddle out. If you get past that stick, you need to come in, and then we'll walk back up the beach and we'll do it again. And he he was barely, he was he wasn't strong enough to paddle out through the waves, but he stuck at it, stuck at it, stuck at it. And about three hours later, he got out the back and he got on a wave. Yeah. And that's all he wanted to do: just get on one of these big waves, one wave, and and you know get in a barrel and perseverance and encouragement. You know, like I, I was putting him into a dangerous situation and probably a lot of parents would look at it and say Gee, that's just madness but it was dangerous but <clears throat> if he got into trouble i was there i was going to go out and you know yep. get him but and that's what it's about it's about putting yourself in them situations and understanding that yeah you know, there is a risk there's an element like you said before you know there's there's a chance that when i go and do one of these runs i, I potentially could overexert myself and and you know the worst case scenario there's a chance i get hit by a car but you know, I could get hit by a car leaving here today, walking back to work. Mm. Um, you've got to put yourself out there, and and you've got to you've got to be able to sit down at the end of the day and think to yourself, what have I done? Yep. You know, and, and be happy with that. Yep. So, what's next on the radar for you, mate? Obviously, <clears throat> you um, you'd have something coming up. Yeah. So, 
in a couple of weeks, I'm going up, well, touch wood, going up to the Gold Coast and, and going to run the marathon just yep. just for something to do. We're, we're going up there. Our daughter's living up there now at university, so we're going up to see where she's living. Um, so we've, uh, Shane and I have decided we'll do the marathon while we're up there. But uh, in the short term, um, in September, we've got the bike ride again uh, from Campbelltown to Devonport, and, and I'll also do a bit of a run similar to what I did last year, yep. you know, 70-odd Ks uh, in the long term. Hopefully next year, if not the year after, I'll go back to Nepal um, and I've got a burning desire to run from Everest Base Camp to Kathmandu. Yep. So um, I'll do that. Uh, touch wood sooner rather than later. But yeah, need to get back to Nepal um, and, and get around some people there. Yep. Do you reckon you'll ever retire from it? How long do you reckon you'll do it for? Um no, I probably won't retire. I'll definitely get slower, <laughs> which I already have done. Um, but yeah, you can't, you know, like I keep saying, you can't ever stop testing yourself, even as you get older. And, and Shane and I have joked that um, maybe when we're older, we might do something like we might drive gophers from Devonport to the Northern <laughs> Territory or something, you know, yep. unassisted gopher driving for, <laughs> for weeks on end. You know, um, we've talked about putting solar panels on the gophers to recharge the batteries and... Yep things like that so oh, you know this will happen right this down yeah um <laughs> so yeah you, you can't stop you need to keep pushing yourself and testing yourself excellent oh that's great mate now like i say i really appreciate your time and you know can't wait to see you know your next challenge and, and i'm sure you will be driving those gophers at some stage so i look forward to seeing that in the paper but I just want to say like obviously from someone who's never met you before and had the opportunity to sit down and chat with you it's it's been a privilege and i know that it's it's inspired me um you know just from having a chat to you so many good messages come out of that and you know helping young people um not just people with cancer but young people in general to to make better decisions and have a better future is something i'm passionate about and, and i think they're in pretty good hands when they've got people like yourself you know doing things for them and and putting those messages out there mate so I can only wish you all the best, and I think you're a mad bastard, but in the best possible way. So, you know, keep doing what you're doing, mate. You're doing a great job. Thanks very much, and thanks for asking me today to do this. And, um, yeah, like, you know, people like yourself, I, I get inspired by people like yourself. So um, I, I just love seeing other people push themselves and doing stuff, you know, and it's, like, it's just positive contribution, and that's what this is. So thanks very much. Pleasure, mate. I'm going to go for a run now on the back of this. Cheers. <laughs> thanks, mate. Take Cheers. care. Don't like to say I told you so, but I told you so. Hopefully no one goes out and runs through a wall after that, but I hope if there's a goal out there that you've been putting off or struggling to achieve, taking a bit of Tim's advice to get there might be just what you need. What a privilege it was to spend a couple of hours talking to this legend about his adventures and what he's endured to help others. Truly a selfless individual who'd prefer not to get the accolades for himself, but for the attention to go towards helping others in need and the community as a whole. Thanks for your time, mate, and I'm looking forward to seeing your next project. I've got no doubt you're going to smash it. If anyone wants to find out more about Tim's charity, you can go to timblairrunforkids.org and while you're out there surfing the net, make sure you like, follow and leave a rating for this little podcast too. Let us know how we're going. If you'd like to jump on and sponsor the show before we go global and become too big for our boots, contact us through talkhardpodcast.com. See you soon.